Welcome to our show where we feature real life conversations with entrepreneurs around the world. I'm your host, Rebecca Palmer, and this is My Entre Life. Each week we will dive into topics that matter to you, the entrepreneur. This is your Entre Life too, so we explore all aspects of it, from health and personal development to growing your business globally. Visit myentrelife.com for info on past and future episodes. Hi, good morning. We're here on My Entre Life, and today we have the amazing Charlie King of Heroic Fatherhood joining us. Welcome, Charlie. Good morning, Rebecca. I'm super psyched to be here. I'm so excited to see you, too. <laughs> so, I want to ask you lots of fun questions today, and you and I, we have had lots of fun before uh, talking about things, um, playing recess, things like that. And we'll get to that a little later in the podcast. But mm -hmm. what I want to know and what I think our listeners want to know is tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me what you thought you would be when you were growing up. Oh, God, this is, this is hilarious because uh, this is a conversation that I've actually been sort of reflecting on recently because uh, I had no idea when I was growing up what I wanted to be. Um, I had, you know, I went from sort of fireman to soldier to, you know, sort of a lot of the young boy uh, uh, ideas. But as I grew older, I still didn't know. Um, and as much as my daughter is getting ready to go off to college and for the last two years of her high school, she's known exactly what she wants to do. It just makes me laugh because I graduated from college and still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and, and that so, happens to so many. It, so many people. It, it does. It does. And I think it even ha you know, the, the, the misnomer is is that if you're one of those people who works for yourselves or you're 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 hustling a bunch of different jobs or you're trying to make your own thing work, is that those people who have those jobs figured it out or they knew or you know, they all had a, some sort of direction in their life. And the reality is is when you talk to them they still feel like they don't know what they're doing with their lives and they feel like their job right now is kind of a holding pattern for whatever they really want to be when they grow up. Oh, for sure. For sure. I know I was there myself. I'm still trying to figure out how it is. I know I'm more aligned, but I'm still not quite there. I'm still trying to figure things out. Well, so I think there's a gift in that too, because if you get so nailed into that, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. If it really is, then fantastic. But if it is in alignment, like what you were saying, it allows you to be open to having other things show up and try other things on. Like maybe you're in the right direction, but something, you know, somebody suggests something to you that really resonates. And if you allow yourself to be flexible enough to say, well, what happens if we, you know, give it a one or two degree shift to see if that, that has some resonance for us. Mm -hmm, that sure. benefits you to, to be able to at least see outside the box of this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life and this is what it's supposed to look like. So tell me about the Charlie on paper. What is your official background? My official background? Uh, my official background is a varied one. Uh, I graduated from college with a, a, a liberal arts degree in political science. Very which, which desperately uh, uh, depressed me when I found out my junior year that people who, people who get political 
physical science degrees often go into law or politics, two things that I had no interest in whatsoever. Uh, and then I, as a, as a good college graduate with no idea what they're going to do with their lives did, I vagabond my way out to New Mexico, where I lived in northern New Mexico from my upbringing of Boston, Massachusetts, and I lived there for a decade. Um, and after working a whole bunch of odd jobs, I found, uh, I started volunteering as a firefighter. And after just a year or so of firefighting, I really liked it as a volunteer. And so I got trained up as an EMT, got hired by an ambulance service, and then worked for several ambulance services and was a volunteer firefighter for about a decade. And during that time, I met my amazing wife of 23 years, Jamie Valella. Mm -hmm. And um, we had our- Still first putting up with you? <laughs> What's that? She's still putting up with you? <laughs> she is most certainly still putting up with me. Uh, I'm about 23 years myself or 22, no, about 23 years myself with my husband, so. Yeah, and, and it's a journey. It is. We grow with each other. Yeah, you sure do. And um, so we built a house, uh, we lived there, and then we knew that when we wanted to have kids, that we didn't want to raise them in New Mexico. Because it's a really beautiful place, but it really wasn't a community place for families, we didn't feel. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to get closer to a big city, we wanted to get back to the ocean, and we moved up to the Northwest. Sight unseen with no job. Now, we made it work. <laughs> I don't suggest doing that though. <laughs> there are other ways to, to move, but moving without a job to move into, that was hard because my wife was being a full-time mom. Mm -hmm. uh, so I came up here, worked a number of different odd jobs, and then decided I really wanted to leverage my background as a firefighter. And it was time for me to evolve out of it. I really felt like I had grown as much as I could in the field without moving into a big city fire department, which didn't really feel like a good fit for me. And um, so I started uh, using that, leveraging that to start teaching child safety classes uh, as an entrepreneur at all the major hospitals in Seattle. So sort of leveraging that, that um, child safety education from the paramedics perspective, what you need to be worried about, what you don't need to be worried about, everything from outlet covers to car seats to windows to, to evaluating commercial and retail spaces for, for child safety issues. Oh, wow. And I did that. Um, I started a nonprofit for child safety. Um, and then I evolved again. And I found myself in the motorcycle industry. And mm -hmm. I found myself in the motorcycle industry. Uh, I, I'm an avid uh, on-road, off-road motorcycle rider. And I uh, invented a product for the industry and um, I thought it was gonna do really great and the product was okay and it rolled out just as the Great Recession happened. Um, when the entire motorcycle industry whoop, collapsed for about 10 years uh, or at least five or six and that was kind of what happened to my business as well. Mm -hmm. It was about that time that um, I really got this, there was something I got really clear about was that of the businesses that I'd owned that I kept getting to a level of success. I got to kept getting to a level of success where I would just keep banging up against the ceiling. And while my business were all different, like there was everything from manufacturing to training to service to the, like all of that's true, but the only one consistent thing was me. Mm -hmm. I was a consistent thing. And so I got that I was the limiting factor in my own business and in my own success. 
Mm-hmm. And I just, in a, in a flash moment of actually having some insight, got that if I'm in my own way, I should probably see if I can figure out how to get someone to support me through it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up hiring my first coach, which turned into a two-year relationship, which turned into, oh my gosh, I, gotta, I have to figure out how to make this kind of a difference that I've seen for myself, for mm-hmm. other people. And that's so, what got me into coaching. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up in heroic fatherhood. Mm. Well, I spent. Sorry. Uh, Hey, Charlie. So tell me a little bit about heroic fatherhood and how that got started. Ah, well, heroic fatherhood was an an, an outgrowth of my experience. Um, I grew up in a house where I had parents who were doing the very best with what they had, Mm -hmm. but they started with a pretty stacked deck against them. Um, uh, I had a household that had, uh, my father struggled with depression and alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, really, uh, the way he grew up was that men didn't parent at all. Like they weren't involved in, in the parenting process at all. Mm-hmm. And so my relationship with him was pretty distant and my parents were sort of kept, they were so challenged with managing their own stuff that they sort of kept us at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And so what I noticed was, is that as I grew up, I ended up really feeling like I didn't know what to expect as an adult or as a man, because my parents just never talked. They didn't really talk to us like that. They didn't sort of like talk about their lives. They didn't sort of generate those, those, uh, those kinds of relationships. And it sort of, you know, you can imagine lots of quiet meals that are full of tension. Mm. (laughs) Um, and uh, there was a lot of shame in our family Uh, and I just realized uh, I really struggled as a young adult I I, I have no other way to say it as a young man and um, the impacts still are with me today Mm -hmm. and I got really clear that we get a chance to choose like we get family traditions do you have a family tradition you love we have lots of little traditions. I would say one okay. of the things is just that we like to have fun together. Um, yeah. Very humorous and playful kids. So that would be right. one of our biggest traditions, I'd say, is that fun and wacky spirit. Right. And we all have family traditions, whether it's we always cut down a Christmas tree or at Easter we always get this or we, we play games or we have laughs and we have fun. Um, and those are great family traditions to pass down from one generation to another. There are other family traditions that don't need to be passed on, mm-hmm. right? If we're like, if we're operating from our highest and best selves, you know, you could say if we're doing our job the best we know how, is to learn from them and not pass them on, right? As opposed to quietly laughing, oh, I'm just like my parent. Well, that's great as long as the thing that you're modeling is that thing that you would like to model for your kids. And I got really clear that I had this opportunity because I look back generation after generation in the family, and that's the same kind of like roadmap that I saw leading up to me, which was Mm -hmm. substance abuse, depression, shame, and that's what it lived like. And I got to choose. Like, I get to choose, is this something I want to pass on to my kids? Or do I want to create something different and end that family tradition in this generation so it does not pass down for another? 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that really motivates my parenting. It motivates my personal growth and it motivates like who I want to create myself as and who I want to model for my kids. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is um, something that, that so many people struggle with. And I think that um, if we have that opportunity as mm-hmm. parents to, sh- to move the dial for our kids, even 1%, 5%, 10%, Mm-hmm. into another generation, we have a chance within, you know, in our lifetime or in a couple of generations to dramatically transform the way that kids grow up in their sense of self, their sense of purpose, their sense of connection, their sense of community, and their sense of family. No, for sure. I know that one thing that I don't remember in my childhood is a lot of hugs from my parents. So it's one of the things that we have in our family. There's lots of hugs there's lots of support. There's lots of you're awesome. So we really try to make that part of our family. And it's something really important to me, that human connection. I want my kids to know that it's okay to hug and to cuddle and love each other because it's just, it's such a, an important thing. We need to feel loved and belonging. And if we didn't have that in our childhood, because maybe that was the traditions uh, of our parents or their family, then let's make sure that we're bringing that back into the new generation. So I think that's awesome advice. Here, 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 here. It sounds like you're way on your path. Yes, trying. Two and a half decades into parenting, another decade to go. Well, it's very funny because kids are all different, right? My oh. son is wired a lot more like me. So, like, we're big huggers. We're big huggers. And at 15 years old, he's as big as I am. So, you know, big body hugs. Yes. And uh, my daughter is more like my wife. It's a little bit more reserved. And there's some days she like, she's like, really, we're doing the hugging thing. And, and the only thing for me as a parent to go, oh, yeah, we're absolutely doing the hugging thing. And like, I'm coming in. And, uh, and it, you know, it's hilarious. We actually have a lot of fun with it. Oh, for sure. For sure. So uh, I had the opportunity actually to meet your daughter last year or the year before. And I thought we should talk a little bit about what we were doing at that. Um, You had the amazing idea to have a recess session at, I know my favorite event, World Domination Summit. And let's talk a little bit about that and why recess is so important, why that involvement is so important, whether you're an adult or a kid. Oh, man. This is a a, a topic that's super close to my heart. when you take a look at modern education these days, they uh, are expecting and enrolling kids into kindergarten classes where they ask those kids to sit and learn didactic information, math, reading, and writing um, at an age that they, those kids are not naturally curious about yet. And they ask them to sit for 45 minutes and an hour at a time, sit still. Now, I don't know if you remember being a kindergartner, but as a kindergartner, there was nothing about sitting for long periods of time that made sense to me. For sure. I still don't like to sit for long periods of time still. Uh, just saying. Um, but, and and, and the, the same is true for early grades as well. Mm-hmm. And public schools and math in this country have literally taken away recess time because we need to prepare our generation for the next whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. whether it's there's a nursing shortage, so we got to hire more nurses. we got to make more nurses. There's a coding shortage. Everybody needs to learn to code. I guarantee you in five more years, it will be something different. And five years after that, it will be something different. Mm-hmm. And 
a dramatic cost to expecting kids to be able to do that. Um, and there's also a cost to adults who don't get out and play. Mm -hmm. There's a cost to adults that don't get out and play because if you do not create joy, actively create joy and happiness in your world, something very specific, something happens is you start to look to your everyday as it's just the grind, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the baton death march of the rest of your life where all you see is this endless road where it's day after day of more of the same and more of the same and more of the same. And I show up to work and I look at my email and I do the projects and I do this. Then I go home and I eat the meal and then I watch some TV and then I go to bed and then I get up and I do it again. That is a kind of life that gives me nightmares. Yes, absolutely. And it is incumbent upon us. It's actually critical that we create joy in our lives, mm -hmm. that we actively create it and bring people in who are like-minded or who are open-minded enough to come and play with you, which was the idea behind having recess at WDS. Mm -hmm. The WDS is powerful and it's fun and there's inspiring speeches from the, from the main stage and there is tactical and strategic stuff that you can do in the breakouts and the work at, you know, the, the workshops and everything else. And there's lots of cognitive things going on, but there's not a lot of physical stuff. And there isn't always the opportunity for a whole lot of like joy. And so I wanted to create something. So um, what we did was we created uh, the idea of doing recess. And mm -hmm. we took a big park with a fountain on a super, if I remember, it was a super hot day in Portland. Yes. It's the tune of some sort of like 100 degrees or something. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, and I was wearing a big cape. I said, look for the guy wearing a big cape, had a big green cape on. And um, we, uh, and we got out into the park and we start, we played a bunch of games. We played Frisbee, we mm -hmm. played, uh, we played Ultimate Frisbee, we played Keep Away, we played Beanbag Toss. I can't remember all the games we played. It was a couple of years yeah, ago, right? Where we had to untangle ourselves or something. So oh, we yeah. had to work together. The team and not game. Yes, yeah, so yeah. lots of different. fun. Yeah, different from human centipede. That's a totally different thing. <laughs> Wheelbarrow weight races next year. I think we'll have to add those in. Ooh. Yes, good thing we'll have a former paramedic on board. There you go, there you go. Yes, some of us are getting a little bit older. <laughs> right, everybody start practicing your push-ups. That's all I'm saying. Yes, yes, but you know what? We can all play. It doesn't matter what age you're at, and I know when... I'm working with people. We play. I have two inflatable T-Rex costumes just for the fun of it. And we bring them out in our workshops because nothing breaks up the monotony and the stress of working really hard business plans and things like that, like a giant T-Rex wandering through the room. Right, exactly. <laughs> and clacking away the keyboard too, or attempting yes. to. Exactly, exactly. So um, we know that WDS has a T-Rex and Every single adult there from what, uh, age 18 all the way up to 70 or older, they see the T-Rex and they're excited and they're high-fiving and they're running for pictures. And yes, it's silly. Yes, it's weird. But it gives us that little bit of joy. It gives us that little glimpse at our childhood and remembering what gave us joy in life. And it just, it empowers us. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, the, the focus I work on with my clients is around really breaking through in your life through, um, mm -hmm. through fitness, fitness and nutrition. And people go, yeah, but 
that just weight loss and getting in shape? And it's anything but. It's anything but. Um, the the access, the, like there is a direct access to joy from fitness and exercise. Mm-hmm. Healthy. Absolutely, positively. And one of the things that I uh, work with my clients, first thing right away is, hey, you have to choose an event, mm-hmm. something that you're going to do when you get in this shape or when you lose that weight, something that is super fun, super exciting, super draws you forward, can be a little scary and daunting too, that'd be okay. Whether that's doing some sort of an adventure race or running your first marathon or doing a triathlon or a 5K or walking the, um, the, the, the Heights of Santiago in Spain, the Camino de Santiago, whatever that thing is that calls you forward. Because when we have more capacity in our body, it's not just opening up your brain, but it's opening up your body as well. Because mm-hmm. they are intrinsically and inexorably linked. And we need to, you know, like there is a, um, there's a freedom that comes from not only being open-minded enough to do things, but also having the physical capacity to do them as well. I mean, you were talking about human wheelbarrows. How many people who are listening to this podcast who are over the age of 35 go, well, yeah, that ain't going to be me because I just need my shoulder strength. And, you know, that's going to be fun for everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. And let's rip the limits off on what we believe of what we can do. Because when we rip the limits off what we think we can do and we go all of a sudden, I never thought I'd run a marathon, but then I trained up to it and did it. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all the negative assumptions about what you can and can't do, not only physically, but mm-hmm. everywhere else in your life, get thrown right out the window. And all kinds of possibility opens. For sure. And I'm not in the best shape myself working on it. But that didn't stop me from doing crazy things like acro yoga last year, where I could actually lift someone up using my legs. And it's like, wow, I can actually do that. And it took a little bit of getting out of my comfort zone to do it. But you know what? I was able to do that. And I could have just said, oh, no, I'm too weak. I'm too big, blah, blah, blah. But it was so much fun. So do yeah. things that are a little bit outside your comfort zone. So I know we're getting close to the top of our time. And I did have another question for you. And I think we'll Please. be closing on that question. So what I want to know, uh, talking about comfort zones and challenging ourselves, what advice would you give to your kids for getting out of their comfort zones? And how have you encouraged them to do it by setting examples? Hmm. Well, you know, the getting outside of comfort zones is a conversation that goes on for the rest of our lives. Yes. It's not new. It's not exciting. Uh, it doesn't feel good, right? Like when you're getting out, people go, I want to get used to being, I want to get, I want to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, that doesn't happen, right? There's just being uncomfortable. It's what you do in the face of the discomfort, which is what matters most. And Anytime that you're called forward and something seems daunting and it seems like it's just beyond your reach, but what you see on the backside of it is something that's either exciting or incredibly valuable for you, there is nothing about not doing it that you should do. You absolutely should say yes. You absolutely should say yes. Because at the very worst, you will learn things that you do not know right now, even if you don't make the goal. 
and you'll be able to apply that to whatever you do in the rest of your life. You will be great. You'll be, um, the Norwegians have this um, phrase called Sisu. It's, it's generating grit. You're generating grit in your life when you take on things that make you uncomfortable and push the boundaries of what you're capable of. And generating that is something that you can, if you do it anywhere in your life, you'll be able to apply it to other places in your life. That you'll be able to go somewhere and, you know, where other people will go, oh, that looks really confronting. I couldn't possibly do that. You'll be able to go, oh, yeah, that's really uncomfortable. But I know what that feels like because I've been down this road before. And it's just uncomfortable and we just need to keep moving forward and we'll get through it. Um, and, you know, we, in our family, we've got, you know, uh, uh, the, the one requirement that I had for my kids. And I said, look, I don't have any requirements. I don't care what you do for a living. I really want you to feel like you're a happy, well-adjusted, contributing member of society and how you choose to live your life and what you do for a living is going to be on you. And I don't get to say how that is. I'm going to try raise you the best human being I know how and leave it at that. But one of the requirements we did have was that they each needed to take on a 30-day backcountry camping trip. Oh, wow. We use it through, we, we sent them through an organization that's called the National Outdoor Leadership School. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a, uh, it's a hands-on leadership school for young adults. Mm-hmm. You are on a self-supported 30-day backcountry trip with a small group of people. And it is daunting. It is confronting. Uh, it is exciting. And you come away so clear about what you're capable of, both from a physical and a mental standpoint at that young age, that you are, uh, it leaves this indelible mark that mm-hmm. separates you from people who haven't done something like that. That sounds absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, you can go to, I think it's knowles.edu to learn more. Uh, I'm a graduate as well. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always look at what's possible, what's possible, what's outside that. And when we're, when we're working with our kids and something sounds like it's not resonating, we, you know, like my job is like, get curious. Is there something that's in the way of it being more exciting or more, you know, engaging or more that, or is it that you're just confronted? and that it's not calling you um, in, a, in a way that you're expecting. And, and really just to get curious about that with the kids and then encourage them to do the uncomfortable thing. For you, sure. You know, like, you got this. You've been down this road before. You know, you're going to be great, and you absolutely can do it. Mm-hmm. One more question for you. Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned, it's March break here. If your kids came to you and said, I'm bored, what would you suggest to them to do? Go outside. I know, I know, that's the best thing. Now, I'm not sure, is it cold and wintry and four feet of snow where you are? It is not, it is gray. It is gray today. Ah, well, it's very nice and sunny here, but apparently they seem to have a little bit of an aversion to going outside in the snow. And I remember when we were young, or at least when I was young, a day like today, this would be a day to grab the toboggans and go to the snow hill or go skating or anything else if it hasn't melted yet. But yeah, so I do find that that can be an issue nowadays, pushing the kids to get outside the house. Uh, now, your kids are a little bit older than my youngest ones. Have you found that 
an issue with any other kids in your network? Oh, I think that that's an issue with a lot of families. Yeah. Um, kids, kids default to screens, kids default to not outdoor activities. Um, and, uh, and it is, has to be an active choice mm -hmm. for parents. It's an active choice. It's not a passive one. It's not one you go, it seems like a good idea, but you actually need to do it yourself and you mm -hmm. need to encourage and require it for your kids. There just isn't a way. There's no point at which your kids, when they have the opportunity of sitting in a warm room with a screen in front of them, are then going to say, oh, I get to put on all my outdoor gear and go be in the outdoors for a couple of hours, because that sounds like more fun. And if for no other reason, then they can't know until they go, right? Like if they don't have the years worth of experience of playing outdoors and learning in the outdoors and running around and, you know, playing cops and robbers or or, you know, or cowboys and Indians, or that's what we used to play, exactly. you know, or, you know, or build your own adventure in the outdoors, they won't, that's a, one of those things, they retroactively see the incredible value in it, and it cannot be recreated if it is missed. Mm -hmm. And it's it recreated if it's, if it's missed. It's how to be creative, how to find things. In fact, I know this afternoon, I'm dragging the kids outside, probably kicking and screaming, but we're going to go and have fun, and maybe what we'll do is have some recess games. Ooh, that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I know we had a we had a big snowstorm here recently, where uh, there was enough snow that everybody was off the roads. Well, I taught my kids how to drive in four wheel drive, and they're pretty comfortable drivers. Sounds and, like Tuesday uh, in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Tuesday in Canada, and nobody else was. But there was a lot of sledding going on at our local golf course because they have a, a big, wide open hill in yes. our tree covered island and my kids were waiting for me when I came home from out doing something standing outside in all their snow gear with their with their uh with their sleds and their saucers and they were just like waiting for me to get out of the car they took the keys from me threw it in the car and off they went and they were gone for the rest of the day and awesome. we kept you know, getting photographs of them sledding and they were just sledding with all their friends and then they would pile all their friends in the car and they went to Starbucks for a hot chocolate then they went back sledding and then they went to a friend's house and then they went back sledding and then you know so you know they, when you instill that sense of adventure when you instill that opportunity you know like ooh, being outdoors seems like fun as opposed to a burden it actually pays huge dividends later in life that's that's our experience anyways that is absolutely amazing advice because I love seeing the kids go outside. They do have fun when we push them a little bit into it. So we need to give them as many experiences as we can. So I'm glad that you did that. And I'm glad that your older teens are grabbing car keys and going to tobogganing on their own. That is amazing. Um, so I think we're going to get ending here because I know we have more on the go. Both of us have uh, some of our own recess games to play today and uh, we're going to be active and everything else. So thank you, Charlie of Heroic Fatherhood for being here today. And you know, I think we could keep going on forever, especially if we start talking about education. So we'll have to come back another day and talk a little bit about the education issue. Excellent, anytime Rebecca, it was a lot of fun to join you. Wonderful, well, thank you very much. We'll All see right. you next have a day. Yes. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of My Entre Life, where we hear real stories from real entrepreneurs telling you about their entre life. 
I'm your host, Rebecca Palmer of EntreLaunch, and you can find us at EntreLaunch.org on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. That's all for now. We'll see you next time.